Welcome, friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be today, listening to local news and social artistry here on KOPN. I'm the host, Dick Dalton, and each week we get to talk to someone who's building a more humane world from the inside out. Uh, right out of Columbia, Missouri, C.W. Dawson, Reverend Dawson. Hey, C.W., great to have you. Dick, it's good to be here with you, man, as always. Thank you very much for the invitation. And, you know, it is, it's post, well, it's not really post-COVID, but uh, during COVID, we meet via Zoom like we're doing today and recording right. it so that it can be uh, aired on the show that people are listening to. Either, uh, folks, you're probably listening either to 89.5 FM on Monday afternoon at 5, or maybe you're doing the live stream at kopn.org, or uh, maybe you caught us later on the podcast that uh, you can link to uh, at the program page on uh, KOPN. So uh, greetings to all of you and uh, to you, CW. And, Thank you. Uh, you know, uh, this has kind of been precipitated because uh, you have a new project. <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I, think, I do. <laughs> You're you're a man of adaptation. I I have watched you adapt over these last four or five years uh, in beautiful ways. You know, you Thank had you. A, a book out way right. back, and we worked on the book on one of our calls. Uh, I'm going to just call it the fractured conversation because yeah. it's uh, spelled out in French. Uh, <laughs> let's let's hear you say it now, man. The conversation fracture. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to tell you, my French is horrible. I do list it as one of the four languages I read, but uh, my, my French is terrible, man. I don't have anybody to practice with. And um, but, but at any rate, Valerie Berta, I think probably many of our listeners, uh, you know her. Valerie um, with the I, We Project. Exactly. Uh -huh. And I was with her for uh, participation in the WE Project. And I was telling her about my book idea. And she said, oh, we call that La Conversation Fracture, Broken Conversations, mm -hmm. uh, because it's concepts of race in America. And I said, oh, if you don't mind, I'd like to use that as the title of the book. And she said, yes. And then she uh, did the cover of the book. And so I was telling people, someone else asked me, what's the name of the book? And I told them, La, La Conversation Fracture. fracture. And, and a woman who speaks French fluently said, um, no, CW, it's Fracture. I was like, well, thank you so much. <laughs> One of my buddies from past, uh, when the book came out, he wrote me and said, Dawson, I know you did not write a book in French, did you? Man, you got a French title. I said, no, just the title. The rest is in English. So, yeah, I mean, that that turned out it was the first attempt. And by the way, Dick, thank you so much for your help on that book of, of, of making it more readable. It, it worked out well as a first project. I learned a lot. And I have been... Um, pleased of how the book has gone. Mm, good. Um, so 
I used the book as a textbook with Columbia College when I was with them. I taught a course on race. And that's when Stallworth, who wrote the book that became the movie Black Klansman. Remember, he came here to Columbia and during that semester to prepare for him, we we worked on a course on race. Mm -hmm. So Columbia College has used it. Michigan State, my friend John McClendon at Michigan State used the book. Mm -hmm. And this semester, Dr. James McRae at Westminster has used the book for his race and gender course. So that, that feels good that people have found some things in it that are helpful. And, and I, think, I think what I attempted to do worked out. And that was simply to say, there are four main concepts of race in America that keeps us all baffled. Some people think race is biological. Some people think race is a social construct, but real like money or the flag. Some people think it's a social construct, but not real. And I hope I can say, so I'll say this one, um, like the tooth fairy. Mm-hmm. Once you realize, you know, you get enough education, you know, there's no tooth fairy. It was mom and dad mm-hmm. putting that money under the pillow. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, and by the way, as a parenthetical aside, let me say I was teaching a course at the crossing and parents brought their little kid to the session. Mm-hmm. And I was talking about this third concept. And I said, you know, like Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. And they immediately put their hands over their child's ears because they had told the little guy there was no Santa Claus yet. And I'm like, oops, I messed up that time. Um, and you, then mean, the fourth- you mean they had been lying to their children? Oh, uh, well, we're not going to get into that. We'll get all <laughs> kinds of letters here. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah yeah that's an adult conversation huh? oh my goodness isn't it oh uh, uh, oh i have one about that but i'll tell you another <laughs> time. um and then the fourth concept is that race is a personal existential choice so that every individual decides what it means to be part of a racialized group and you know the famous one dick was um, the incident with Rachel Dolezal, who was head of the NAACP in Seattle, Washington. She said she was an African-American woman, but by birth, she was an Anglo woman. And so for me, what that did was simply raise the issue. Can we choose? Now, now Dick, since then, man, uh, and listeners, I've had conversations because I try to talk to everyone. Some of my more progressive liberal friends get mad at me because I talk to conservatives. I talk to them, one, because I'm a black man in America and I need to know what they're thinking in order to survive. Mm -hmm. Because to be forewarned is to be forearmed. I I really believe that. Mm -hmm. But also there are some conservatives I like. I don't agree with them about certain things, but they are human. <laughs> they know how that we can discuss and disagree without being disagreeable. And if you don't mind, I'll just say one. One of them is Judge Josh Devine. He is a guy that he's a conservative and a Republican. I told him he's the only Republican I ever voted for in my whole life. Uh, <laughs> he started to laugh. Um, 
but I think he's a good man. And so we have these discussions and we can speak honestly with one another and disagree without being disagreeable. Mm -hmm. So at any rate, my conservative friends, not Josh in particular, but my conservative friends say to me, we believe a person can choose their race. Now this is interesting, but cannot choose their gender. Oh, which I found interesting Mm -hmm. because I think just the opposite in some ways. Mm -hmm. I think you are part of a particular racialized group, but your gender, you can make a decision. Mm -hmm. You can say, uh, I am, I have been born in a male body, but actually I'm a female, Mm -hmm. transgender. And, And if you notice in this town, that became a real issue oh yeah uh, for mm-hmm. for many people mm-hmm. and for some of our larger churches mm-hmm. so yeah. so the book has has been able to generate other kinds of conversations i did not anticipate great great uh and i feel i feel good about that so now yeah man i'm on a new a new journey and it's on colorism mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I say to you and my reader and and our listeners, I have been aware of colorism all my life. I didn't have a name for it. Mm -hmm. When I was a kid, it was just called color strut. It wasn't until Alice Walker in the 80s in her book, um, Finding My Mother's Secret Garden. I think that's the one Mm -hmm. where she defines colorism as preference of light skin over dark skin. My father was a very dark-skinned African-American man. Mm-hmm. My mother was very light. And um, my dad was a proud World War II soldier. He was in the Ninth Cavalry, segregated army, didn't make a difference. Then the Ninth and the Tenth Cavalry decided they were going to be a soldier soldier. In spite, in spite of the racism, dad. So anyway, my dad dressed up in his uniform and went to pick my mom up for a date. <laughs> and uh, they went to a black club in Argentine, Kansas. <laughs> and so it had a slot in the door. <laughs> my mother put her arm in the slot. They could see her veins and they let her in. My father put his arm in the door and they tried to break his arm off in the door. Oh my goodness. Wow. Um, hmm. He was too dark. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so experientially, I've been aware of colorism. Mm. Uh, and, and you and I and the listeners all know colorism, which is a derivative of racism. It is a form of racism. And, and discrimination. The first thing that has come to my mind and I've learned from the research is that colorism is ubiquitous. And what I mean by that, it affects every population of color. Most recently, which the news reporters have not put their finger on yet, is that colorism may be part of 
the shooting in Orange County with the Chinese gentleman and the Taiwanese hmm. because generally they're different shades mm-hmm. uh, as much as anything else. The news always talks about the political difference between China and Taiwan, but it may color, colorism. I, I've learned from the new book on caste yeah. that colorism is a big part of the caste system, maybe even more than the theological kinds of assertions and commitments uh, in Hinduism, that colorism may be more. Mm. Because you notice that the top of the caste is very light. Mm-hmm. It, it, it affects the Latin population. I had a Latino Latina woman say to me, ask me, she said, Dr. Doctor, um, I look white to you. And I said, no, <laughs> you look Latin to me. And she started to cry. Ooh. And she said that um, her grandmother told her and all the girls of the family gather them together and tell her, whatever you do, marry white so that you can lighten up the race. She said when she was a kid, she wasn't allowed to play outside in the sun, um, that they used on a regular basis bleaching cream, Mm. which I didn't know. I thought that was a totally African-American experience. Uh, my, My father, for instance, I'm in the bathroom with him. He's shaving. I'm playing like I'm shaving. I got a little piece of plastic <laughs> rubbing soap off my face, right? Trying mm-hmm. to be like him. And I noticed that his face and his hands are lighter than his body. Mm-hmm. Now, if you think about that, you know, that's in reverse. Mm-hmm. Because your face and your hands get more exposure to the sun. And it was because of bleaching cream. He was oh. trying to light. And then to find out that the Latin community has had a problem with bleaching cream. Mm. I had an Asian student. He was Vietnamese. He was at Mac. And I asked him, what I said, man, do the rest of the Asian students treat you, you know, like a brother, part of the community? He goes, no, and hell no. He mm-hmm. says, I'm too dark. Oh, wow. So it's ubiquitous in that it affects every, and, and I'm sure this is true in the indigenous population in the United States, mm-hmm. that color, colorism has, is a perpetual problem. Mm-hmm. We've known it in beauty. I mean, Dick, without telling our age, we remember the days of which you, you could not be too dark if you F at all, if you're African-American and be in the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, Sidney Poitier really, Mm-hmm. was the cat who broke the color line for mm-hmm. dark folks, unless they were minstrel shows. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Uh, yeah. So the maid or, yeah, or, you know, gone with the wind. You Sure. The servant could be black. That's. Uh, oh, yeah. 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 In fact, appropriate. Right. Yeah. I, I can remember in third grade, my teacher who thought she was being a liberal talk about the nigger mammy. Um, that was, you know, as the wet nurse man thought she was just, you know, that's what we called them. Mm. And, and I thought, you know, even then I was like, you know what, I'm about to get in trouble. I'm going to the principal's office. I can see that right now. <laughs> um, 
But uh, yeah, if, unless they were in subservient roles. As a parenthetical aside, isn't it interesting? And I know we're going to get in trouble, Dick. But isn't it interesting when we go to the major campuses here in Columbia, that the majority of the people of color that we see on those campuses that work there are in housekeeping, food service, mm -hmm. security, mm -hmm. but very, very, very few in research, development, teaching, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. Et cetera, yeah. And uh, I heard President Choi talk about that. He was going to recruit more teachers, more instructors, more professors, it will be very interesting to see if he and the board of trustees recognize that they've been practicing colorism for a long time. <laughs> well, and of course, the history of Mizzou had slaves back in the day. And uh, yep. uh, so we're- I'm proud of my alma mater. <laughs> they have donated millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in reparation uh, from Princeton. And you know the story. So is Georgetown and lots mm -hmm. of schools mm -hmm. um, because they've had buildings that were built by slaves. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm looking to see what the University of Missouri would do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, since they're my alma mater, too. But, you know, I'm not, you know, somebody's going to say, oh, he's just being anti-MU. No, I'm not. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I love that institution. That institution provided me an opportunity to garner a degree that has opened some doors for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Someone I, you know, you know that I've been a pastor over 40 some years mm -hmm. and that um, last summer, the Unitarian Universalist Church of Columbia allowed me to be their sabbatical interim minister right. while the Reverend House, Molly House Gordon was away on sabbatical. And there are not a whole lot of folks of color in that church. No, but they treat me like family, man. I, I'm telling you the truth. They have treated me like a brother and my wife like a sister. And so let me interject there. Yes, please, man. Because, you know, I'm talking to death. I'm sorry. No, no. I want to interject that you treated them like family, too. I try. I really yeah. do. I mean, you're a, such a personable fellow. Thank you. That it's hard not to treat you as family. At least that's been my experience. Thank you. We're going to take a short music break here. Uh, a friend of mine, Jack Williams, who's been on this show before, has a new CD out called A Tickle in My Soul. And one of the songs on that CD is called Songs in My Head. Caught between rocks and hard places Out where the trolley don't run where there's nothing at all I see towering walls And a stone in the place of the sun Caught between time and the railroad The engineer calls out my name 
With the steam in my eyes, I hear only goodbyes. As the train pulls away, I remain. Down where the coal turns to diamonds, dreams trickle up to my bed. Down where the words flow in silence, I'm startled by songs in my head, in my head, songs in my head. Suddenly dawn comes a calling and breaks like a red chandelier. As the darkness recedes, I pick up the pieces and fashion a song from my fears. Caught in the light of enchantment. I dance like a child in a storm. Through a hole in the sky shines the muse's bright eye, and I dream like the day I was born. Down where the coal turns to diamonds, dreams trickle up to my bed. Down where the words flow in silence. I'm startled by songs in my head, in my head, songs in my head. With that, I'm going to say to our audience that I'm talking to <laughs> C.W. Dawson, Reverend C.W. Dawson. Uh, by the way, the first African-American to get a PhD in philosophy from the University of Missouri. Yeah, that's so, something. In yeah. 2006. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, took 50 years. Uh, yeah. <laughs> integration for. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, I don't know if they have any people of color in the department now. Um, and and part of it may not be their fault. Now, you know, I'm, I'm not going to. I'm too old, man, to just sit around and blame folks for our stuff. Mm -hmm. I want to do something about it. Mm -hmm. I want to move forward. And so part of it is the University of Missouri may have a hard time recruiting people of color mm -hmm. because philosophy is not a discipline that attracts lots of people of color. It is old white men's discipline. You know, you read Kant and Hegel and Aristotle, and Plato and on and on. I remember the first time I mentioned Howard Thurman in the philosophy class and if you, everybody looked at me like I had doo-doo on me. I was like, <laughs> I was like, well, you know, Thurman was a great thinker. And they're like, <laughs> uh. Uh, and then I had the audacity and I mitigated what time to say in class, well, you know, the first three popes of the Roman church were black. Oh my goodness. You thought a fire had erupted it. And, and, and to bring it to contemporary time, just two weeks ago, I spoke to 
a practicing Roman Catholic in this town. And I said, you know, Father Talton, high school named after him, was, was a black man. And he goes, what? I said, yeah, he was black. Y'all didn't know that? And we were like, you getting ready to make him a, a saint? Y'all didn't even know he was black. And uh, he goes, I did not know that. And yeah, I mean, the history of racism was such when Talton was coming through, then when it was time to go to seminary, not one seminary in the United States would accept it. Mm. So Rome found out and said, why don't you come study here? Isn't that a slap in the face? <laughs> Can't get into the schools in the U.S.? Come on to Rome. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, C.W., uh, when people don't know that other people are Black, is it because of that uh, term that we've heard now more recently, although it's an old term, that they were passing for white or they were really black and the history just somehow people didn't know what, what do you think was going on? I think there's a third position because I don't think, I don't think Talton was trying to pass. And I know Augustine wasn't and Augustine, I think, and, and this is why the colorism project is so important. I think is because it's exposing the fact that, Colorism affect not only the black church, but the white church. Mm -hmm. And the way it affected the white church is the white church took religious symbols and made them white if they're good, black if they're bad. And a way of perpetuating white superiority in the life of the church was to make sure that those characters those individuals are white because white represents purity and, and rationality and wisdom, etc. So Jesus is uh, often portrayed as a white guy. Yeah, I mean, and and my my family, Dick, was for the era and for it, we're very progressive in the community I grew up in. There was always three, maybe four pictures and everybody's living room, Martin Luther King, Jesus, and sometimes um, Malcolm X and Marcus Garvey. Oh, okay. Wow. Uh, because Marcus was stuck by going back to Africa. My, oh, yeah. Yeah, man, my, my grandfather on my mother's side, he said 25 cents every week. He worked at Ford Motor Company in, outside of Bonner Springs. He said 25 since every week for a seat on the Black Star Line. He was going oh, back to Africa. Wow. Yes, sir. So here we go. Colorism has affected every social institution in America. So my research project this time is on colorism and Christianity in the Protestant church, North America. Okay. The next project will be colorism and the Roman Catholic church, uh-huh. because that's too much material to try to do in one one thing. So in the Protestant church on the one side, after well, first of all, it starts in slavery, right? Is that the the children of rape and et cetera of the white slave owners were generally put in the house 
they became the house servants, the house Negroes. You know, uh, Malcolm talks powerfully about the house Negro versus the field Negroes. Mm -hmm. After the Civil War, and I'm skipping, but after the Civil War, the mulatto, as they were called in that time, community grew tremendously. They had more social privileges than dark-skinned folks. They set up businesses, churches, et cetera. And so the question is, did colorism affect the church as it did every other institution? And so the first analysis is with the black church. So there was a mulatto church, for instance, in Washington, DC, that kept a fine tooth comb in the vestibule. If you were of color and you came to church there, they would take the comb and try to put it through your hair. If it went through your hair easily, you could come in. Oh my goodness. If it did not, you could not come in. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh yeah. And then of course, there was the brown paper bag test. Mm -hmm. If you were lighter than a brown paper bag, you could be a member if you were darker, no. Oh. Now, we see this a lot in black fraternities and sororities. When I was teaching at Bethune-Cookman University, the AKAs, they asked me to come and give a lecture, which, of course, I said yes. And I'm getting ready. I put my nose together, Dick, and this dark-skinned AKA walks in. I was like, oh, Jesus must be coming. And she started laughing. She goes, Dr. Dawson, I get that a lot. Because historically... If you're an AKA, you're light. If you're dark-skinned, you join the Deltas or one of the other sorority. And then the great Abyssinia Church, allegedly, I'm, I'm checking resources because I'm beginning the research, but the great Abyssinia Church allegedly had a crayon line in the pulpit. Abyssinia, 1,400 members, mm -hmm. New York City. If you were taller than the crayon line, and lighter than the crayon line, you could preach in that church. But if not, you couldn't. Oh, wow. Now think about who the pastors were. Adam Clayton Powell, Adam Clayton Powell Sr., who were very, very fair. I dare say, Dick, they probably were your complexion. Mm -hmm. They were mm -hmm. that fair. Which is why everybody about fell out when Calvin Butts retired Calvin Butts became pastor of Abyssinia because he's short and black. And <laughs> oh, my goodness. Times have changed. But there was this real thing about colorism in the black church that it was believed lighter skinned people were better educated, um, et cetera. I mean, look today Dick, that you look at the, the major universities and colleges in this country. The majority of the P, the faculty of color are light skin. Oh, I, I hadn't noticed. Yeah. Yeah. In the white church, colorism happens mm -hmm. in the fact that the symbols are whitenized. Mm -hmm. I mean, think of think of the great Protestant song. Oh, precious is the blood that makes us white as snow. Oh, Say my. what? <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, 
So a little girl goes to Sunday school at one of the mega churches in America. And when she comes home, her mother finds her in the, uh, in the bedroom crying, looking in the mirror. And the mother says, well, you know, what are you crying about? And she said, why does God, she asked, why does God hate me? And the mother said, why do you think God hates you? Because the Sunday school teacher said, everything that is evil is black. Mm. And God hates evil. Mm. And mama, I'm black. Mm -hmm. So God must hate me. Or, or, or how about in black church, right? Woman is in her women's Bible study um, and uh, she's bemoaning the fact that she doesn't think she's going to ever get married because she's dark skinned. And, and by the way, Antoinette Landor, who is professor at the University of Missouri, if you ever want someone to talk about colorism, sexuality and relationships she is she's the one she she's she's the boss in that okay. area okay okay and she's very personable and uh she good she's good people <laughs> uh, well but, I'll, uh, I'll look forward to your introduction yes uh, absolutely okay uh but the woman's telling them and and the and the sunday the uh, Bible study teacher says to the woman, oh, honey, don't worry. You're going to get married because you're light skinned mm -hmm. and, and everybody. And so men of God always want the best. And everyone knows that light skinned women are the best. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, so, you know, this perpetual, how about in Columbia, man? You think the older Black churches in Columbia, the majority of dark-skinned people in those congregational pictures are in the back, light-skinned ones are in the front. So here's our second music break for this show. Uh, another song by Jack Williams from his new CD, uh, Tickle in My Soul. Uh, the song is called Miles to Go. pack on my back pledging my love to the railroad track railroad track and a dusty back road heavens above and rivers and the valley below got a nickel in my jeans and a tickle in my soul i don't bother thinking so i'll never grow old Never grow old and I won't give a damn If you take my nickel and you never know who I am I never had a job but I worked all day Made a fair living, kept the wolves away Kept the wolves away and burned the candle down Woke every morning to the light of a brand new town I've got miles to go across the plains Over big 
sun and the rain I'll take my chances in the great somewhere If love comes calling it'll find me there Swallowtail lands in a nest by the bay Near tall buildings where the marsh once lay Marsh once lay and the moorhen cried Fiddlers scurried at the rush of the rising tide Oh, life has been kind to me, that's a fact Youth was a lark, but I never go back Never go back to those days again Follow that ivory bill all the way around the bend I've got miles to go across the plains Over big mountains in the sun and the rain I'll take my chances in the grapes somewhere If love comes calling it'll find me there child that sleeps on the ground walks through the forest and knows every sound knows every sound and speaks to the sky holds every critter in the light of a sunlit eye i've got miles to go across the plains over big mountains in the sun and the rain i'll take my chances in the great somewhere if love comes calling it'll find me there Where the road ends, where time begins One star to guide me Where the soul flies through endless sunrise That's where you'll find me Can we talk about science a little bit? Go ahead. Well, first, though, uh, it's time to reintroduce you. Uh, this is Glocal News in Social Artistry, folks. So glad you're listening to KOPN today, uh, your Columbia Community Radio Station. 50 years old next year. Yay. Moving, moving into our new uh, facility, uh, just as we speak, uh, things are happening day by day. And uh, we're, we're really excited. We, we appreciate your support uh, every time that you uh, either listen or you, you donate or you, you say a good word about KOPN. It, it all helps. And we, we appreciate it all. And Absolutely. we appreciate the guests that we get to have on oh, shows thanks. like this. Uh, my guest today is a, a returning friend of mine, C.W. Dawson, uh, Reverend Dawson, Dawson Ministries, uh, teacher at Columbia College and Mobley Area Junior College and uh, substitute pastor out at uh, Universal, <laughs> Universal Unitarian, you know, he gets around. 
I get around. <laughs> and he's got this new project he's beginning to work on, although it's an old concept. And the project is uh, colorism and Christianity. And the part one is uh, focusing on the Protestant uh, churches in North America, both black and white. And, and I, I wanted to kind of bring in science a little okay. bit here because, uh, you know, we talked about gender uh, a little bit earlier in the show, as well as this colorism. And, you know, uh, they tell us in our genetics, in our DNA, that we're black, white, doesn't matter. Human beings are 99.9% the same, exactly identical. Right. And then we've got those few little things that have to do with color and have to do with hormonal balances. Right. And so in color, we go from this end of the spectrum to that end of the spectrum. And it's right. all just a little bitty genetic difference. Just, just the teeniest little thing. Whereas 99.9% .9 of everything else is the same. Right. And you get into gender and we've got our testosterone and estrogen and progesterone and, and they're all on this continuum of proportions. And mm -hmm. we're male, 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 <laughs> in the mm -hmm. sense of uh, all of the, the ways that things are constructed in that little area, all the way to female in a continuum. And along right. the continuum, we've got all kinds of variations. Right. Whereas the rest of us is 99.9% .9 the same. It's those right. little, how is it that we can pick on the smallest <laughs> kinds of items and make it so much a, a huge issue as if, oh, you know. <laughs> my, well, my. I think it's because one, as human beings, we are masters of making mountains out of molehills. Hmm. Um, that um, to the point that we'll kill each other over them. Oh yeah, we do. So, so in my personal experience, because I, well, first of all, I am a theist. And so I think in stage one, every person that has an ultimate reality is my family. And I don't care if it's pagan, I don't care if it's Hindu, I don't care if it's Islam, on and on and on and on. We're in the same family. And even and my atheists and agnostic friends, they're part of my family too. Because I've learned so much, for instance, from religious atheists like Buddhists. <laughs> said, ah, I, I, I really don't think I can make it in the world without their teaching. That's how fundamentally powerful they've been mm -hmm. in my life. Amen. And my atheistic friends make me ask the right questions. Mm. <laughs> so, so that's what we, we make mountains out of mohills. And, and, but in all my life, I've known Muslims all my life, but I've never seen Muslims kill one another over differences in prayer positions as I have now. And I'm talking about Sunnis and Shias. Right. Uh, that, you know, we, 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 we have on the national scene uh, 
people wanting to regulate women's bodies. Right. Uh, Men wanting to regulate mostly, uh, but uh, there's some women that are in that as well. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I, I mean, not to be crass, but I, I really do, really do think that if we, if you have a penis, you ought to stay out of that conversation because, but, but what happens is men think because of patriarchy, we think we, they are our property. That's what we think. So we have a right to determine what they do with their bodies because it's really our body. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so um, color, same kind of way. I mean, um, the, the fact that, that I call you white or Anglo, you call me black, um, it, it's such a little thing. Um, and yet it's enough to, to cause uh, the shooting in, in New York right. and Buffalo, Buffalo right. and, and other places. I mean, this has not been the first time. Every My day. wife and I were talking today and she was saying, you know, I'm just nervous everywhere mm-hmm. because it reminds me it can happen anywhere. I said, baby, you've been a black woman all your life in America. You've known this all along. It can always happen anytime, anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so two things we must not be as black people, people of color and people for peace, period. We must not be afraid mm-hmm. because every time you become afraid, afraid you will make a mistake. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is we must not be so angry that we lose our minds mm-hmm. because when you're really angry, think of all the mistakes you ever made in your life. Weren't most of them because you were angry. Oh, he was. Wow. <laughs> I can list them. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and so fear and anger, we have to avoid mm-hmm. uh, and be constructors and deconstructors mm-hmm. um, of, of, of this whole thing. So which, that's why this project, yeah, because um, I I I want to be part of a solution and not part of the problem. Mm-hmm. But but to, to one more thing, Dick, to answer the question, mm-hmm. all of this comes out of what I call the phenomena of difference and otherness, and and the fact is is that our number one sense is vision. We we're perceptual creatures. Mm-hmm. And we notice immediately what's other than us Mm. and what's different from us. And in most cases, what is other and different, we have fear of. Mm -hmm. Now, those visionary impressions, though, get associated with words. Sure. And if we have the uh, vision experience and different words are associated with what we see, it alters the way we perceive what we're looking at. Sure. So it, it's, sure. yeah, we have a primary visionary sense, but we make sense of it only by what people have told us, oh, look at that. That is, oh, look at that. That is, and we get that programming and now our vision per- perceives it sure. a certain way. So you're wanting to find out why people perceive things the way they do. And 
and maybe find a way to make some positive change. Is that? Well, I agree with you. I want to change the narrative. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the wrong narrative has associated, been associated with otherness and difference. Mm -hmm. There is no rational, rational explanation to be afraid of that, which is different from me, but I am, I'm taught to be, Mm -hmm. those are black people be afraid of those. Um, people, Th- those those are Mexicans. They're all drug dealers and rapists, and mm-hmm. you know those are Africans. They you know on and on and on, and, and now even what we used to call the model minority of this country, Asians. Asians are under attack, man, mm-hmm, yeah. and uh, have been, oh, yeah. and now are again. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 see, so so part of changing the narrative one is in-house i need we need to change the narrative within the white community black community asian community on and on i need to say to every black man you are my brother you are not my dog mm-hmm. because if you're my dog then you just said my my mother's a bitch mm-hmm. and if i think that way about myself it perpetuates black self-hatred mm-hmm. yeah. so we have to change the narrative in the house good but we have to change that. We have to change the narrative across the house. So we need to stop teaching Asians to be afraid of black people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Dick, you asked me to come on the show, man. Yeah, you know, yeah. I will tell the truth. Oh yeah. We 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 need we need to tell Latin folks to quit listening to the rhetoric that black and brown people are not your enemy. All right. So I speak to someone who's Latin and I with my terrible Spanish and I notice at first they'll flinch and then they'll help me. But the fact that I spoke surprises them. Mm-hmm. Now we have at least the possibility of moving beyond just other this and this and difference and start building beloved community. Beloved community, yeah. Well, we got to change the narratives, man. Mm-hmm. We, we, we have to change the narrative. But, you know, we still live in a little Dixie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we know the narrative, the negative narrative is rampant. That boy said replacement theory. That, you know, listen, <laughs> this man, I, I'm, I'm well aware that, you know, the conspiracy of replacement. But, but, but here's why it's, another reason is so ridiculous. All right. First of all, if the fear is that there will be more people of color in the world than white people, too late. Already have because there are already more people of color in the world than Anglo people, than mm-hmm. European uh, right descendants. The real problem. Will those people of color replace white people in positions of power? Because mm-hmm. it's ultimately about power. Mm-hmm. And that's a real fear. Because I think that the perpetuators of that racism really are afraid that people of color will do to them the same things they've done to people of color. Mm-hmm. We did, co- we did colonize this yeah, we did. land. Yes, we did. We took it away from people of color. Yes, we did. Yes, and, we did. Uh, and, and, then we, it- and then we 
brought slaves in that were a different color. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> to help build this country. And now are you're saying we may, white people may be afraid that the black people that we brought in as slaves may get the idea that they could do what we did to the Native Americans. Sure, because the narrative is if they're dark, we definitely can't trust them. And if they're light, maybe they'll assimilate. Mm. So, so look at, look at, man, not the, the most recent election primary, but the election before with Lindsey Graham. He's my best case. <laughs> so his, his opponent was African-American man. And if you notice, as the race went on, the pictures that Lindsey Graham's camp put out, that brother got blacker and blacker. <laughs> you know, someone said to me, oh, Dr. Dawson, how can you laugh? I'm like, because if you don't laugh, you, you know, it will swallow you up and you'll just, you'll just fall apart, right? Right. I mean, you know, the fear is there, but you have to find a way to move beyond it. Yeah. Uh, but, and, you well, know, got, and we do that. We got about, well, five minutes or so. So okay. uh, I, I want to kind of be aware of our, of our time. And, and, and I want people to know uh, before we close uh, sometime here, how they can either help you or contribute to your project. Uh, they can, Thank you, Dick. They can send, uh, I think they can send uh, through Facebook or, or other ways, uh, experiences they've had with colorism. And that, is one way to help contribute to your project. Yes. In fact, on Facebook, I'm, I'm getting ready to put together a group of people who have experienced colorism across the board, white, black, brown, mm -hmm. you know, on and on and on, um, older, younger. And that's um, C.W. Dawson on Facebook. On, on Facebook. Great. Great. Um, another way that you can help is that I put together, because the project is expensive, it's going to be about $30,000 to do mm -hmm. everything I need to do. Mm -hmm. So I've put together a GoFundMe account. Mm -hmm. um, and um, you can go to GoFundMe, look up Colorism and Christianity. You'll see the post. Mm -hmm. If you can contribute, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Any donation, any size mm -hmm. helps. I learned from Barack Obama <laughs> that when you want to put something together, small donations make a difference. Mm -hmm. The average donation to the war chest he put together in the first campaign was $25. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he wow. built a war chest. Yeah. So every donation makes a difference. Uh, and, and to share then the post with other people because your sphere of contact is much larger than mine and and i really need the help um the third thing is is that if you belong to one of the uh churches established churches or organizations in this town this county this state this country mm -hmm. that helps um, scholars like me pull together projects Mm -hmm. please, please, please send me the information. I'll send you a proposal. Mm -hmm. And if you can, 
help the fund. I am, Dick, I'm also paying forward. I have already hired an Anglo student of mine. Uh, she, she's something else who uh, is working as a student resource, a research assistant, mm-hmm. because it will look good on her resume and it will help her in her future work. Great. Uh, she has, she has a desire. She has a love of justice and she has no clue about all the stuff she's finding <laughs> about colorism. So this bit of eye opener for her. But uh, I'd like to hire another student mm-hmm. to help me, oh. um, to help them. Right. Because my thing is, someone helped me. I want to help someone else right. and teach them to help someone as, as they go. And I think that's the way we build. So you can write me at the Missourian. Um, you can contact me through the Missourian. I write a column once a week there. Um, Facebook. <coughs> At the UU Church, it's philosopher at uucomo.org is my email address at the Unitarian Universalist Church. I am not a Unitarian Universalist, but they love me and I love them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, C.W. Dawson, why do I always think we need another two hours uh, every time we get together? (laughs) We do, we do, we definitely do. Oh, my. Oh. Well, but you'll be back. You, you'll be back. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, I, I compliment you on your uh, tenacity with uh, health issues and, and all the kinds of things that you adapt to. Um, Thank you, man. Appreciate you much. Appreciate you, too. Thank you, my brother. All right, folks. Uh, remember, wherever you are, that's your world. Please leave your world cleaner, more peaceful, and more loving than you found it. Because... If it is to be, it is up to us. Take care. Talk to you soon.